Let's open up a word of prayer. Father God, we remember that in uncertain times when we seek certainty, we have the calm and the true assurance that God, you are here with us. So speak to us from your word, O oh God, which will guide us through these uncertain times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start by telling you a story from a few years ago. A true story. This happened to me a few years ago. I remember one time I was driving down the CTE, uh, the central tunnel, right? And you know, when driving, those of you who are drivers, you know that everything is just second nature. You, 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 you don't really think about it. You check your blind spot, you look out for the traffic lights, etc. But this day, when I was driving into the CTE tunnel, um, you know, you don't think twice about it, but as I was driving, suddenly everything went pitch black. Pitch black. What happened was there was a car in the tunnel. Uh, I think you see it right there. This is not the actual incident, but it felt exactly like this. There was a car in the tunnel. It was at the end of the tunnel, and it had caught on fire. And it was at the end of the tunnel, but the wind was blowing all of the smoke down through the tunnel. So you know the CTE. It's not, the tunnels aren't that long, right? It's not like the KPE or some of the others or the MCE. It's not that long, but you're driving so very slowly. So slowly, and the only reason where you can get a hit is because you can see the flashing hazard lights in the car in front of you, and you are essentially driving blind. And there I was, and all of us, you look around and you can see everyone's very tense, very nervous. You can barely look more than one car in front of you. If you see from this video, you see there's a few close shaves even. And that's where all of us were. That short 100, 200, 300 meter stretch, it took an eternity for us to get through. What should have been a very uh, routine, a very certain journey, became a very uncertain journey. One that we had done countless times over and over again with just a lot of confidence, it took us forever to get out. Eventually, we did get out. You know, eventually, we drove out, we heaved a sigh of relief, we looked around and we, we lived to drive another day. But that was a picture of the CTE five years ago. Um, but I think it's also a little bit like a picture of life today, right now. Remember when 2020 started? And you had a picture of what this stretch of road was going to look like. And you had made plans, right? Maybe you had uh, family plans or you had holiday plans and many of us had church camp 2020 plans. Maybe you had career plans, plans to, uh, maybe this was the year you were going to quit and find a better paying job. Maybe this is the year you're going to quit to take a study break. Um, and at the start of the year, everyone is using this phrase, 2020 vision. Remember that, that, that phrase, 2020, because in, in America, you know, we have 6-6 vision here where we have the metric system in America. They use 2020. 2020 vision means when things are very, very clear. Um, but it turned out that what we thought we were seeing was as clear as mud. Most of the plans we made were thrown out of the window. Flights were cancelled. Investments were curtailed. Your career path, not so clear anymore. And so that's us. We're all in this smoke-filled tunnel, and everyone is driving blind. No one knows how long we're going to be in this tunnel. Yes, there are some announcements every now and then, but we never know. We hear of countries having their second wave, their third wave. These are still very uncertain times. And even church isn't done the same way anymore. We're so happy to be back here. I'm so happy to see people here. Uh, we're, we're at 100 people in the sanctuary right now, right? And uh, we, we have little, it's just nice to see. I saw someone who hasn't come back to church for the last half a year, and I'm sure he was really happy. Um, but it's not the same, you know. In the past, we used to be able to fill this hall uh, anniversary weekend, 1,200, 1,300 people. Now we hit 100 and we're maxed out and we have to turn people away. When was the last time your whole cell group were met together in the same place all at once? Think about it probably as, as no more recent than um, February or March, maybe. And for those of you who are watching at home, I'm sure it's a good experience for you. I'm very proud of our live video streaming team. They've come a very long way, and, and they do uh, near miracles on a weekly basis. Um, but you know what? It's not the same. I wish you were here. We miss you here in the sanctuary. This is a season of discipleship from a distance. Discipleship from a distance. Is this new for the church? Is this a new concept? What if we go into the Bible and we see where in the Bible do we see this picture of discipleship done from a distance? And actually, if you look in the Bible, you realize most of the New Testament is discipleship from a distance. Most of the New Testament is long-distance communication. The epistles, the letters, they were written 
They were meant for public broadcast and consumption. They'll send it somewhere and it was meant to be read out to all the members of that church in that city. Nowadays, when you do something like that, you send something for everyone to read. We call that social media. So discipleship from a distance is not new to the Bible, uh, which is great because it means that we have something to learn from, we have something to draw from to get us through this season of discipleship from a distance. And today we're going to zoom in on one passage in particular. In Acts chapter 20, we find the Apostle Paul, and he's saying goodbye to uh, his disciples uh, at the church in Ephesus. He brings all of the elders of the church of Ephesus to where he is in Miletus nearby, and he knows he's never going to see them again. If you have heard of Paul's first, second, third missionary journeys, this was the last leg of his missionary journeys. And from here, Paul knows that he's going to be called far abroad. He's going to go a long distance away, and Paul knows he's not coming back. And so as he meets the elders at Ephesus, he's preparing himself, he's preparing them for this new normal. A new normal where their circumstances would be difficult, a new normal where communication would be distanced, a new normal where church life was, would be disrupted. And does that sound familiar? It's not all too different from the world that we're living in today. So, in this chapter, as Paul bids his friends farewell, it's not just the, hey, goodbye, see you another time, or, you know, take care. It's, it's much more serious than that, because he knows that when he's no longer there, hand-holding this early church, watching over them, fathering them, mothering them, catching them when they fall, he knows that they are going to be, um, they're going to be preyed upon by what he calls savage wolves. Savage wolves, he says, they're going to jump in and try to derail your faith. So we pick this up from Acts chapter 20, verses 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood." I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And now he's telling the elders at Ephesus, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Be on your guard. In this season that's going to come, be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day with tears. This is serious stuff. Paul is warning them that in these uncertain times of distance discipleship and a disrupted church and with, amidst difficult circumstances, there will be so many challenges on their faith, false teachers, distorters of the truth, that their faith is going to be tested like never before. Just like I believe our faith is being tested now. And what Paul is telling his disciples is that making it through uncertain times will call for a certain kind of faith. For three years, he's been warning them about this. For three years, he's been saying, be on guard, be careful. Everything I'm teaching you, take it to heart because one day you're going to need to know it for yourselves. And now it is time for them not to borrow his faith, but to stand on their own faith. So as we read this chapter, let me surface three key soul-searching questions that I think we can ask ourselves as well. If we really want to be prepared to face uncertain times such as we are facing today, I think we need to ask ourselves these three questions. Let's start with the first question, and it comes from verses 18 and 19 of Acts chapter 20. So he calls for the elders to come, of Ephesus to come to him at Miletus. And when they arrive, he says to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And he, he kind of repeats the same point in verses 33 to 35, where he says, You know that I did not covet anyone's gold or silver or their clothes. You know yourselves that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, the needs of my companions, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we help the weak. We remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The first question that we ask ourselves as we take a hard, necessary look at our faith in these uncertain times is our testimony unquestionable. 
Hear what Paul was saying to his disciples at, at, at Ephesus. You know how I lived. You saw it for yourself. You saw the way I served alongside you. You saw the humility, the simplicity of my life. You saw uh, my hard work, my generosity. You know all of this. You saw it with your own eyes. You were, I was unquestionably there and you unquestionably saw the testimony of my life. And what Paul is saying to his disciples is, we can teach all manner of Christian theory, but it is really what you see me doing, serving with you, working hard, helping the needy. That is the mark, that is the real test of faith. And what Paul is showing them is that the faith we profess shouldn't just be theoretical, it must be testimonial. We must live out a testimonial faith, not merely have a theoretical faith. How we live must bear testimony to our God. Our faith has to be evidenced not merely by the words we say, but by our actions speaking louder than mere words, the testimony of our life. And when we say testimony, we don't just mean that, that simple three-minute version of conversion story, how you came to know Jesus. More than that, the testimony of your life is the way you live your entire life so that anyone can see it's so obvious that unquestionably, without a doubt, Jesus lives in you. Jesus is Lord of your life. Jesus has blessed your life. Because you see, in the old normal, when it comes to faith, we could get away with a, a facade, a sheen, a semblance, a pretense of faith. We could fake it. Sunday morning, just make it a point to go to church so people can see you being a good Christian boy. Friday night, make it a point to go to cell group just so that you clock attendance and no one's questioning you for the rest of, about the rest of your days. Make sure you wear a nice cross around your neck. Make sure it sticks out so people can see it. Uh, and you say the right words, right? And praise the Lord. Hashtag hallelujah, PTL a lot. But you know what? For the last six months, the, the structure, the routine of church has been stripped away and our faith has been laid bare for anyone to see. What is the testimony that you're living out? Uh, during the circuit breaker, for example, I thank God for my wife. She holds me accountable. She said, you know, after, towards the end of the circuit breaker, she said to me, you know what? You're at home 24-7. I see you all the time. How come I don't see you do your quiet time every morning? <laughs> and I told her, I thought about it for a while. How come you don't see me doing my quiet time? Because I know I'm reading, you know. I know, the, 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 I know I'm reading it. I told her, actually, I, I, I think I figured out I do. It's just that now that we no longer have the same daily structure, you, you know, you used to wake up every day and send your kids to school and then you go to work. And then for me, I used to do my quiet time somewhere in the middle while dropping them off, find a nice kopitiam or whatever it is. But now I don't have the same daily structure. I realized that I wasn't reading the Bible at the same time every day, but I was reading it. Uh, so I told her, what you don't see is I'm reading it off my computer, for example, when I'm at, at, wherever I'm at, at, at home working. Uh, but I am reading it. But what I was thankful for is I was thankful to know that someone is holding me accountable for my faith. Someone was making sure that my faith wasn't just pastoral, pious theory, something that we tell people to do, but it was actually a practical, a personal reality, right? We all need someone like that, someone just, hey, how's your, how's, how's your walk with God? How's your quiet time? Um, for me, that's my wife. Without the regular routine of church, the structures of it, the habits of it, without that propping up our faith, if Paul were here and he asks us that same question, would we have passed Paul's test? Which is this, when people look at you, would they unquestionably see, just like the elders at Ephesus saw in Paul, unquestionably see a life lived for Jesus. A life that is Christ-like in character, that is compassionate, that is charitable. So that was Paul's first challenge. Is the testimony of your life unquestionable? Unquestionably Christ-like. Then he continues in verse 20 of Acts 20, so 2020 vision, here we are. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. In verse 20, in the middle there, you see the word helpful. Uh, in other translations of, of the Bible, the word helpful there translates, NIV is helpful, New Living Translation. I've not hesitated to teach, to preach what you need to hear. In the ESV, in the North American Standard Bible, I've not hesitated to preach to you what is profitable to you. And I like this version of uh, the plain English Bible. I've not hesitated to teach you what is useful to your souls, useful for your souls. What Paul is challenging us to consider here is, is our theology useful. 
Theology, theo means God, logi means the study or the understanding of God. Theology is our study of God, our thoughts about God, uh, how we understand God, our faith belief system. Theology is what we believe. What, when Paul specifically mentions that he preaches, he teaches that which is useful, he's acknowledging that there is teaching, there is preaching that is not useful. Elsewhere in the Bible, uh, when Paul writes to, uh, in, the, in the book of Titus, he calls these unprofitable arguments, have nothing to do with them. Even today, not just in Paul's time, there is a lot of theology that is not useful. I would argue that this is theology that is just not relevant to life on life, to real life issues that people are going through in the church and outside of church, that offers, it offers no real help to anyone in need, that it may just be knowledge that puffs up, but not wisdom that builds up. So for example, just to give a simple example, last year my wife and I, we visited another church overseas. Remember when you could go overseas? Anyway, we were there overseas and we, we visited church and they had this little amateur skit and it went something like this. So there's a woman, she comes, she bu- she's broke, she's hungry, she's starving and she bumps into her friend uh, who, who, who's a Christian from the church, right? And, and she pours out her life story and says she's so down on her luck, she can't afford her, her meal, etc. And now this church friend, she looks at her starving friend and, and you know, she's there and she says, wow, I really feel for you. Hmm. Things must be really, really hard for you, huh? Mm. You know what? You know what? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you until something happens, until God sends you food. Oh, I'm I'm done. And you know what? You should keep praying too, okay? See you next time. Bye. There is theology that is not useful. A person comes to you starving and in need. And the best we can do, it's not a bad thing to pray for someone. But if all we can do is, I'll pray for you, then consider the words in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has not works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but doesn't give the things which are needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Useful theology is relevant to people's life. Useful theology meets felt needs. Useful theology is the believer showing people the love of God through acts of love. Yes, pray for people for sure, but don't stop there. Go the extra mile to be useful, to be helpful, to be relevant, to be impactful, to be a meaningful presence in people's lives. In, in my cell cluster, my cell leaders here, we, we always remember one time when a member on a chat group said, um, I have a flat tire, right? So, so I've got a flat tire, and the next thing you know, we see all these photos on the chat group where all of these uh, cellmates, they're taking wee-fees of her by the side road, and they're trying to figure out how to change the tire together with her. Um, useful theology doesn't just say, I'll pray for you. Useful theology says, where are you and what size are your wheels? That's useful theology. So for example, that's why we have the the jobs portal in this current season, uh, bbtc.com.sg slash jobs. You know, if any of you is looking for a job in this season, why not just see what opportunities there are there? And if there's any employers in a position to offer a job, uh, why don't you just submit it to this portal? I don't know if anyone will find a job through this. I do know we should at least try. You know, how terrible would it be for us if we just sit by there, look at all the headlines about the economy and jobs, and we say, oh, no, economy is so bad, all the poor people out there all looking for jobs. Let's pray for them. I mean, sure, we'll pray for them. It's something that we do pray. But if we can just go that extra step, who knows if it's it's really going to come in, if it's really going to succeed, but at least we try it. Why is it so important that our theology is useful? It's because... When we help people, they want to know the God that is fueling that love, that compassion, that care, that concern. Um, just draw your, mind, your eye back to Acts chapter 20, verse 21, when Paul says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. The significance of this is he's pointing out to them that I was speaking to uh, I am an apostle to the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Gentiles. I am also out there declaring to, yes, the Jews know about God. 
They know about the Messiah. But the Greeks, the Gentiles, they need to know the Messiah. And if no one's saying that to them, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I'm going to tell them, turn to God in repentance. Paul had this revelation that God's message is for everyone, not just the converted, not just who already went to the synagogue. So in the same way, we need to tell the word of God, the word of Jesus, the message of good news, the gospel of grace, even to non-believers. And the best gospel you can give, the best message, the best word from God you can give is when you show people the love of God. We know from John 13, 35, by this will all men know you are my disciples because of the love you have one for another. Love for one another, it flows out of the love that we receive from God above and that love is given to us for the purpose of witnessing to all men. All men are watching and they see that love so that they too will be drawn to the Father of love. Can I share a story with you that I just heard from a BBTian that I bumped into earlier this week? Uh, I just bumped in the BBTC car park just when I was looking for a story to illustrate this particular point. She told me the story. She was eating at a food court downtown. It was a long day at work. It was closing time already. She was exhausted. She just wanted to eat and go home, you know, be done with the day. Then as she was eating, uh, she had this big argument going on somewhere in the food court. And basically, she saw there was an elderly cleaner there. And the elderly cleaner there was being uh, scolded, being, being, being run down by someone. And then finally, the, you know, the noise dies down, and she sees the cleaner is, is finally there alone, but he looks down. He looks sad and, and, and broken. And so the spirit nudges her. Do something nice for him. Just do something nice. You know, and, and she has no idea what, what, what she could possibly do for them. And, and the only thing that comes to mind is, well, I have a little bit of money. Maybe I just give him a little bit of, a, of an ang pao, you know, just, just to bless him. And, you know, all these thoughts run through her mind as she's doing it. Well, well, you know, will it feel like I'm pitying him, etc., etc. But you know what? When the Spirit speaks, you just respond. So she just does it anyway. Um, there was no negative response. She's like, you know, don't pity me. No. In, in fact, uh, it started a very long conversation because this, this cleaner... He said things like, that, that's so kind of you, that's so thoughtful. You know, um, it reminds me that there are good people out there. And you know how people usually treat us cleaners, but they're just there just to clean up after their mess and no one takes note of us. Actually, why are you being so nice to me? Most people just ignore us. Most people just treat us badly. And then the BBT, she realizes why the Holy Spirit nudged her. And she says, uncle, I'm showing you the same love that I have been shown. I've been shown this love by a man named Jesus. And within minutes towards the end of the conversation, as the food court begins to close, she is saying the prayer of salvation with that old elderly uncle. True faith shares the faith. We share Christ as we mature in Him. For those of us who are on BBTC, this word should be ringing, this phrase should be ringing through our ears for the past 34 years. And for those of you who have just joined BBTC online, this is our mission statement. It's great to mature in Christ. It's important to mature in Christ. And we must share Christ as we mature in Him. At this moment in time, when the whole world is shaking, more than ever, the opportunity arises to tell them about Jesus. Hey, you lack peace? I know the Prince of Peace. Let me introduce you. Hey, you feeling a bit hopeless? Let me tell you about the hope that I have that anchors my soul amidst this current storm and any storm. Is our testimony unquestionable? Is our theology useful? And a third question comes out of these verses from Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. Paul tells the, his disciples at Ephesus, and Miletus from Ephesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. I do not know what is going to happen to me there. What I do know, in every city, the Holy Spirit wants me. Prison and hardships are facing me. You know, normally when we say something like this at this point, um, we start to cry. <laughs> we, we start to... It, 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 it's so difficult to face up to something like this, right? But Paul brushes that aside and he gets to his real point. His real point is not, let's not focus on the prison and the hardships. If the Holy Spirit is going to bring me there, he's got a plan, he's got to figure it out. What is important, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is not to stay out of prison, it's not to stay away from the hardships. My only aim 
is to finish the race, is to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. From Paul's example, from Paul's model, from Paul's posture, we ask ourselves the question, is our faith unshakable? Prison and hardships were not enough to stop Paul from his mission, from completing the race that was marked out for him by God. For him, these things are, well, I'm sure he doesn't long to be in prison, but they're not the end of the road. They are, at most, speed bumps. You know, you can't set out to finish the marathon and at a two-kilometer mark out of 42 kilometers, you meet a little, you know, road diversion, a lot of road diversions nowadays, and you say, oh, well, I guess I wasn't meant to finish the race. Then you go back. No, you, you, you find a way around it, you get through it, you, you climb whatever obstacles you need to get over to make it to the finish line. And for Paul, he will not be distracted, he will not be derailed. He has that single-minded focus on the work of the kingdom, the mission, the purpose, the privilege of completing the task that was set for him by his Lord Jesus Christ. In theory, this is very easy to say. In theory, we all say we would face, do, face up anything for our Lord Jesus Christ. In theory, we, we, we know that we are supposed to have this faith that can you know, overcome any situation. But I know it's difficult. Because that's life. In you know, life is hard enough. Then we've got COVID season coming. And in this COVID normal, there are so many assaults on our faith from every angle. And the concerns are very, very real. People are concerned about our health, you know, whether it's the virus and now there's the whole dengue situation. Uh, we're, we're worried about our jobs, you know, and it's not about the job. It's not about just having, you know, the, 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 the business card. It's about having money to put food on the table. So because of that, we're sweating over the economy. For those who are fresh grads or about, you know, in the last year of your, of your education, you, you're probably getting a little bit worried about landing a job. Last year, you wouldn't have thought twice about it. Now, we're not so sure. Parents, I'm a parent, we're all worried about our kids' education being affected. When we send them to school, we're just wondering, I keep my kids safe, they wear their masks, but I don't know if other parents are doing the same thing. There's so many worries. Migrant workers, migrant workers are worried that uh, they'll fall sick. And if they fall sick, it's not their fault, but then they lose their job. And if they lose their job, then how much is the, the bond that they're going to have to repay? There's all these very, very real concerns, and no one's invalidating them. We understand. I'm a parent. I understand the fears of a parent. Those of us who, who have a job, we understand that you know, the, the, the security that we used to have is not quite the same anymore. But can we take a lesson from Paul here about unshakable faith? What Paul is saying too is that there's so many voices to listen to. Every time you read a headline, it's another voice to, 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 to parse, to filter. Um, I can even listen to the, my own voices because Paul is human, right? He has his own fears. He doesn't like to go into prison. He doesn't like to be beaten. He'll do it for Jesus, but no one likes that. Even remember Jesus himself said, if it is at all possible, take this cup away from me. So that's, that's the flesh responding. And Paul's saying, I can listen to the voices of other people and they tell me, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go, you shouldn't go to church. You shouldn't, etc., etc." I can listen to human wisdom. But if I do so, I'm going to be intimidated. If you read one chapter down in Acts chapter 21, actually all of his other disciples in all the other cities are saying, hey, we heard you're going to go to prison. You're going to face all this hardship. Don't go, Paul. Just don't go. And Paul says, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I must go. Because what Paul does is just, I'm, I know there's all these voices. I know the voices inside me, in my inner man, you know, we are fallen, we are carnal, we are weak, right? I'm going to put those voices aside and I'm going to choose to focus on only one voice. And that is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you'll note that the Holy Spirit didn't say to Paul, things are going to be awesome, comfortable, neat, private jet's going to get you there. No, what he says, Holy Spirit tells Paul, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And the one thing that I can promise you at this point is that uh, prisonment, imprisonment awaits you, hardship awaits you. And Paul hears that, and he doesn't do a Jonah. He says, well then, he goes the opposite direction. He says, Holy Spirit, I understand. I will go no matter what, because if that's where you are calling me to go, I must go there. This thought process is premised upon knowing the character of God. When you know the character of God, you will know that whatever He tells you to do is a good thing, even though in your mind, in, your, in, your, in the flesh in you, just can't understand why it's a good thing. All the people around Paul 
they, 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 they meant the best for him. When they say, don't go, don't go, you're going to go to prison, they're going to catch you. They meant the best for him. But Paul knows that the one who really knows the best for you is God. And he speaks to you through the Holy Spirit and he says, if that's where you're calling me, by faith I will go. And Holy Spirit, if you're calling me there, you're going to want, have to protect me. You're going to have to preserve me. You're going to have to give me favour. You're going to have to open the doors. This is unshakable faith. What we want is we want to be this people of unshakable faith, a people who can echo the declaration in Psalm 75 verse 3 when it says, when the earth and all its people quake, it is I, it is you, God, who is holding the pillars firm. And the earth is shaking and the people certainly are quaking. COVID has thrown us for a loop. This is us in a CTE tunnel full of smoke, not sure how far we are from the light at the end of the tunnel. When I was in the tunnel in the CTE, all I had to go with was two uh, blinking hazard lights of the car in front of me. From this passage, we see three guiding questions, three blinking lights, to help us get through what is undoubtedly the most challenging season of our generation. These three guiding questions. Is our testimony unquestionable? Is our theology useful? Is our faith unshakable? But these are questions, and this would be a terrible sermon if all I did was give you questions uh, with no answers to go with them. The good thing is it's the Bible. It's good news. Paul gives us answers to some of these questions, to how to help us through these uncertain times. In Acts chapter 20, we see the three things that we need to cling on to to make it through any storm whether it's a pandemic, a global crisis, whether it's a personal crisis. We read earlier in Acts chapter 20, 22 to 23, we read these verses that Paul is always responding to the Spirit, right? If you remember, they said, and now compelled by the Spirit, I will go there. What I know is that the Holy Spirit wants me. The first thing we must turn to, the first thing we must cling on to in these uncertain times is the unerring Spirit of God. Unerring means no errors, no mistakes. Holy Spirit always knows what is right. We are trapped in linear time. I know what was, I know what is to, the, you know, uh, to my limited vision. Holy Spirit, He's God. He knows what is to come because He exists outside of time. In uncertain times, there is only one person who is certain, who really knows what's going on. That's God. And God is always with us always open for consultation in the person of the Holy Spirit who He's given to indwell every single one of us. When He, the Spirit, comes, uh, Jesus said, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. And we need truth because there is just so much untruth and deceptions and lies. There are forms of doctrine, forms of the church, which I'm not sure really uh, uh, should call themselves a church. That we, that there's so much deception about what is right, about the way we should live, about, about the truth that we should respond to, to cut through all of that, to cut through all the lies, the deception. Church, in such a time as this, all the more, we need to be finely attuned to the frequency of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who drive, you will know that when you go in a tunnel, they always tell you, please tune your radio frequency to this and that for updates or emergency updates in the tunnel, Right? Think of that as the Holy Spirit frequency. Um, we got to tune into that frequency. It's not that when you're in there, they ask you to go there and you know, they constantly tell you there's emergency. But when something happens in the tunnel, you'll be really glad that you've got that frequency tuned in. How do we tune into that frequency of the Holy Spirit? No shortcuts. Spend time with Him in prayer, in worship. Build up that ongoing conversation with God in the Spirit. Let him point you to the true path. Faithful in little, faithful in much. If on a day-by-day -day basis you have that connect, that response to the Holy Spirit, when the big situation comes, you will hear him loud and clear when he points you down the true path, the right path. A common question, how will we know when it's really the Holy Spirit talking? A couple of weeks ago, our speaker then, uh, self-supervisor Mark Tan, he reminded us that, there, that the rima, the spirit word, what we think we hear from God, must always echo the logos, the written word of God, which is the Bible. So the next point from Acts chapter 20, verse 32. 
Paul tells his disciples, Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. The first thing we cling on to to make it through uncertain times is the Holy Spirit who is unerring. The second thing we cling on to in these times all the more is the Word of God, which is unfailing. The unfailing Word of God. When you're down, read a psalm of comfort that will pick you up. When you fall, find a passage of encouragement from the Word that will dust you off set you back gently on your feet. When you're anxious, by now you should have marked out in your Bible the parts of the Bible where it speaks about do not worry about anything, Matthew chapter 6. Philippians chapter 4, you know, don't, don't be anxious about anything. Turn to the Word for comfort, for guidance. And that's really what Paul is saying to his disciples. He's telling them, it's sad that I won't be around anymore, but it's okay that I won't be around anymore because I'm not the one that's going to save you. I'm not the one that's going to save you. If you think that everything I taught you was so wise and so, and so excellent, can I just remind you that I've never preached to you anything except the whole counsel of God. It's not my words that are wise and excellent. It is the words from the Word that have been uh, uh, tutoring you all this time, that have been discipling you all this time. The Word never fails. His words, not mine, are going to help you. And so in these uncertain times, so it is for us. All the more we have to really re-establish reading that love letter from God, which is the Bible. Our word intake, no shortcuts and no condemnation, only encouragement. If you haven't been opening your Bible, maybe now is the time to start. There will come a time and the time feels sooner and sooner that Jesus will just speak to us directly face to face in the new heavens, in the new earth. Until such a time comes, the most likely place where you're going to definitively read the true Word of God is you open the Bible. And in these uncertain times, we need the unfailing Word of God as we are tutored by the unerring Spirit of God to help us through. And the third thing, we must really learn to trust, to lean on in such times. From Acts chapter 20, this is how the chapter wraps up. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of his uh, disciples, the elders of Ephesus, and they prayed, and they wept, and they embraced, and they kissed. This was before social distancing. What grieved them the most was the statement, you, you know, there was a lot of things that could have disturbed them, right? He could have, they could have like, been really disturbed about the savage wolves. They could have been really disturbed about the, oh, some of amongst our own numbers are going to turn on, are going to distort the truth and are going to, uh, you know, so to speak, betray us. So much could have grieved them. But what grieved them the most was, we're going to lose our friend. We're never going to see our tutor, our mentor, our brother Paul again. That's what really grieved them as they accompanied him to the ship. This picture that we have here, it's not merely that of an organization or an institution. This picture is a family photo of a united church. A picture of church, not as an institution, not as a structure, not as a building, but as a family, as a brotherhood. And now, more than ever, we need this united, loving church. Members, brothers and sisters in the same family, pulling in the same direction. You look at how divisive society and politics has become, home and abroad. Everything now is me versus you. If you are not for me, then you must be against me in a different camp. And we've got to be careful because church can so easily go down the way of the world. Um, online camp versus on-site camp. This doctrine versus that doctrine. Worship done this way versus worship done that way. And if our church goes down this route, we are in trouble if, if it's not already happening. More than ever, in uncertain times where who knows if things are going to get better or worse, more than ever, we cannot be a church divided. There are enough wars to deal with outside without having to face a friendly fire. As a church, we must learn to unite, to let love cover over a multitude of offense, 
to be teachable, to listen to other people's opinions, to submit to our authorities, to speak to each other in love and gentleness. All this so that by our love will all men know what disciples of God looks like. When they look at us, we are the representation of our God above. Our God is love. And we want to be that united church where we can really overlook our offences, our differences, and come together in the single-minded purpose of serving and worshipping our high and almighty God. Let me sum up what we've learned so far. The church at Ephesus was facing very uncertain times. Over the years, Paul had been preparing them, warning them for three years to be ready for the storm, and hey, here it is, the storm has finally hit them. And what he's been showing them with his life and the things he's taught them all the while, you, if you want to be ready for that storm, make sure that your testimony is unquestionable. That every time you speak, people trust where you're coming from. People know that you're the real deal. Make sure that your theology is useful, that you're impacting people so that they want to hear the good news of your good God. Make sure that your faith is unshakable so that whatever the storms are, you are still on the path, you are focused on God's plan for your life. And then he says, I may be going, but these are three things far more important than me, an apostle, being around to sustain you. Far more important than my presence are these three things. Are you being discipled? Are you listening to? Are you tu being tuned into the Spirit of God who makes no mistakes, who knows exactly what's going on now and what is to come? Are you full of the unfailing Word of God? So you're not just getting direction through Rima, but it's doubled up, backed up, confirmed by wisdom through Logos. And are you the church united encouraging each other with love, spurring one another towards good deeds, a brotherhood that cares for one another and those beyond our church walls. How do you think the elders at Ephesus responded? The Bible does tell us. They actually heeded the words of Paul. How do we know this? We know this from the book of Revelations. Apostle John, he conveys the words of the Lord to seven churches, of which Ephesus is one of the seven churches, right? And he says to the church in Ephesus, now Revelations is written in maybe about 90 plus AD, and the book of Acts is written in maybe about, it tells of events going on in maybe about 60 plus AD. So we're talking about possibly about three decades later. Uh, and at this point, it is the words of Jesus identifying what he thinks about the church at Ephesus. And 30 years later, this is what is said about the church. I know your deeds, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance, I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them to be false. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for my name. I know you have not grown weary. And, and by the way, for those of you who do know this chapter, there is a little bit of a warning for them. He says, but be careful, you have to repent in case you, you are in danger of losing your first love. But at the same time, he's acknowledging all of these things that the church has listened to Paul and has actually acted on. They have actually did something about it in their church. For example, when he says, I know, I know, I know, it is obvious even to the Lord God above watching, I know that your testimony has been unquestionable. I know what you have done. I can see it. And I'm sure the people around you can see it. And what they can see is they can see your useful theology, your deeds, your hard works, the good things that you do to the people amongst you and around you. Um, and he also says, I know your unshakable faith. You've been listening to Paul when he said, be careful you know, of all these things that are going to be coming because I saw your perseverance. I saw how you endured hardship for my name. And just as a bonus, uh, this wasn't one of the three U's over there, but he also says, I know that you, you were heeding the word about the savage wolves and about, about the people going to come and try and distort the truth. Be on your guard, they were warned, and they were on their guard. Church, in these uncertain times, would you heed the call to be on your guard? Just like the Elders at Ephesus, these disciples of Paul, they didn't quite know what was to come. They didn't know how long, how much longer they were going to be in that smoke-filled tunnel. In the case of the elders at Ephesus, it was going to be at least another 30 years till this 
uh, the revelations were written. But they were on their guard. They heeded the word. They turned to the Holy Spirit, knowing that He was unerring. He makes no mistakes. And He was the one, all these other voices, all the voices internally, even from some among them, from those around them, from the rest of the world, telling them how they should conduct their lives, how they should live, lead their church. But no, they said, we only listen to the Holy Spirit. Paul showed us that. He listened to the Holy Spirit. And by now, the elders at Ephesus would have known 30 years later that Paul, he made it all the way to the kings. He made it all the way to Rome and he shared the gospel far and wide. And they would have known that when he said 30 years ago, the Holy Spirit leads me there. The Holy Spirit tells me to go there. And they would have heard the stories that, my goodness, we told him not to go. And Paul went and you see how far he managed to preach the gospel to the kings. Will we hold fast to the unfailing Word of God? There are so many truths in so many websites, in so much social media, in so many books, but there's only one book that really, really, really tells the one true truth. It is the Word of God. Let it inform every aspect of your life. Be totally devoted to seeing the, the rest of the world through the worldview that is the Bible. We call this a biblical worldview. When you see every situation in your life, personal or societal, and you ask that first question, what does the Bible have to say about this? And will I heed the word of the Lord? That's holding fast to the unfailing word of grace. And will we unite as one church? We have heard so many differences of opinions over the last six months. When should we reopen? How many people should we have? Which ministry should we reopen? What about the young people? What about the old people? We've heard all of it and we're not invalidating anyone's opinion. We understand that many of you have real fears, real concerns. All we are saying is, whether you are here, whether you're out there, whether you're listening on social media, understand that now is the time to unite. Now is not the time for differences because we are supposed to already have differences with the world. We are supposed to be of one mind and of one purpose. Now is the time to unite because if we are struggling with just fighting our wars internally, then we are wasting time because people out there need help. There are people who are struggling, there are people who are suffering, there are families who are falling apart. That, that there's children in need and, and that's just looking within Singapore and what about beyond our borders, etc., etc. There is so much need that if we're not united but we're divided, we are wasting our time. We're wasting the Lord's time as well. Now more than ever is the time to let love cover over that multitude of differences and offences. In these uncertain times, will you come back to the spirit unerring, the word unfailing and the church united. Can I invite us all to close our eyes here in the sanctuary and at home as we just close in prayer. As your eyes are closed and at home as you just find a quiet moment and you just don't worry too much about the kids and the cooking and whatever, just for this moment, will you give just the next one minute and pour out your heart to God. Many of us have lived very blessed, very uh, favoured lives in this season, and, but I don't believe there's any of us who don't have any worries, any concerns in us. Maybe some, for some of you, it's the health situation, whether it's the virus, dengue, or maybe it's a personal situation you're going through. Maybe for some of you, it's jobs, economy, maybe it's uh, your elderly parents, your young children. For the next one minute, and I will be quiet after this, for the next one minute, will you just pour out your heart to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I come before you and I lay bare my weakness and my brokenness. Help me in these things. Cry out to God. Tell Him the things you may not even 
dare to tell your spouse or your best friend? The innermost fears in your heart of hearts, well, the Spirit lives in you, so it's not like He doesn't know. Cry out to Him. invite us to just rise to our feet and if you're at home you too can rise to your feet it's okay rise to our feet as we begin to close in worship and can I encourage you as you worship stay in that same posture you've been in for the last one minute stay in that posture of just brokenness and crying out to him and acknowledging Holy Spirit this world has made many mistakes and we still can't figure things out and we still don't know when there's light at the end of the tunnel but you are the spirit of wisdom you are the spirit of good counsel you know you know what's going to happen and you know how, where are the green pastures, the still waters to lead me to. And Holy Spirit, you've heard from me, from my heart of heart, from the depths of my soul, what is that deep concern? You know, but we remember that you're the spirit of comfort. Holy Spirit, even as we just gather here as a church, the hundred or so watching here, the hundreds more who are watching online, as we are gathered, may it please you to see a church united. Not united in our boasting of our strengths, but in united in acknowledging that in our weakness, there is the space for grace to come flowing in. That in our fears and our worries, there is the opportunity to see that truly you are the God who overcomes, the God who strengthens, the God who heals. And there in the darkness is the chance to see the light of Jesus pouring in to fill us with that hope that is going to anchor our souls. And as we worship you, Lord, as we worship you, pour forth your comfort, pour forth your strength, pour forth your healing. We need you now like never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.